Hello and welcome to the Heat Check Podcast, Miami Herald's Miami Heat Podcast. I'm David Wilson and I am joined, as always, on the other line by Anthony Chang, our Heat Beat writer here at the Herald. Anthony, Spo did it again. Yes, it seems like, well, he hasn't, he hasn't formally completed, hasn't completed yeah. the job, but He's well it, looks on like his way. I, it looks like he may avoid a February trip to uh, Cleveland this month, which I don't think is a secret that he would rather not go and spend his only weekend off of the season, probably on a beach somewhere. Um, so, he had, you know, they're, they're one game back right now in first place with a couple games to play before the Sunday cutoff date when, it's, when the coaches are determined for their all-star game. Uh, but they're in much better position to avoid that. I suppose in much better position to avoid that than at the start of the week when the Heat were at the top of the East. Yeah, very, um, very convenient timing for the Heat's second three-game losing streak of the season and real easily their worst stretch, at least in terms of wins and losses that they've had. I don't even since November basically. Like they they haven't had a obviously they haven't had a three game losing streak in a long time, but they haven't had a stretch. You know the the blowout loss to the Celtics is most lopsided loss of the season. Um, you know on was it Saturday they had the, the triple overtime loss where yeah. it sure seemed like they were trying really hard to win that game, and then obviously they lose on uh, Tuesday, right? Tuesday, my days are so mixed up. Right they lost, now. By, they lost Tuesday Monday, in Toronto, to and then yeah Tuesday in Toronto in a close one. Uh, we're recording Wednesday. We actually, for the first time in a long time, have had a, have a time to to talk when nothing, hopefully nothing too new will break between now and then, at least in uh, in Heat World. Um, you know, so we, we, we joke about the convenient timing of this, this losing streak. Um, you know, everyone goes through losing streaks in, in the season, yeah. so it's not like, uh, obviously, panic time or anything, but... Um, I don't know what you you obviously were at uh, in Boston, right? For that loss, um, did not make the trip to Boston. Although oh, you did not make the trip to Boston. No. Okay, yeah. So you, yeah. you you obviously covered the Boston and Toronto games. Yeah. Um, we all watched. I saw. You know, I, I was covering the Panthers game on Saturday night. Did not expect to get home in time at the end of that game, but did. Um, what are your kind of biggest takeaways from from this this skid? I think, you know, uh, again, the Heat will make excuses, and I'm not going to make excuses for them because they haven't been playing particularly well uh, the last few games, but four games in five nights is tough. <laughs> that's that's yeah. really tough. And, you know, you talk about schedule losses in the NBA. Um, that Boston game was pretty much a schedule loss. That was a third game in four nights, two nights after playing, losing in triple overtime. Guys played 50-plus minutes. Um, traveled to Boston the next day, played a game, you know, the following day. Um, Jimmy and PJ didn't even play because of injuries, but, you know, rest, not rest, but, you know, just the fact the schedule was also a factor in just trying to save their legs um, and not, you know, overplay them when, when they had both played big minutes in Toronto um, and they had another game on Tuesday, you know, the following night. So, it, it, you know, that, Boston was kind of, I think, a schedule loss, and you see it when they lost by 30, their most lopsided loss of the year. The Toronto game, again, a second half of back-to-back. Toronto was also in the second half of back-to-back, but that was a Heat's fourth game in five nights. Um, it's just tough. That, that's why the NBA eliminated those stretches, or has tried to eliminate those stretches, because teams are at such a big disadvantage um, with you know when they're playing that many games in so few days. So, yeah. you know, yes, they haven't playing great, but... If they're going to lose three games in a row, I, I kind of said coming into this stretch, like, I, you know, if you're the Heat, you're happy probably with two and two in that four-game stretch, and it ended up being one and three. 
had a chance to win the second one, whether it's triple overtime, that triple overtime game on Saturday, that was probably the one they should have pulled out. Um, but even in Toronto on Tuesday, they were up by 15 early in the third quarter, and they blew the lead. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think the schedule plays a huge factor, and also the fact that, again, they're not whole. I mean, they haven't been whole pretty much yeah. all year, but they don't have Kyle Lowry, who's their starting point guard. And in close games, you know, he's the guy that's kind of running the show, um, and he hasn't been there. So uh, I think you know, all those factors played a role. Yeah, obviously one of those games uh, was a, a quite a long game as well, so yeah, uh, does not does not help things. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's the natural ebbs and flows of an NBA season, and you know I think the one thing is, uh, and not that this matters, but it did feel like the last week was kind of like the national turning point where it's like, oh, the Heat, look at, look yeah. at these guys, and then they obviously uh, flip around and lose three straight, and I don't think. I don't think anyone who, like, had kind of hopped on that heat bandwagon over the last couple weeks is hopping off because of one three-game losing streak in, you know, the end of January, beginning of February with the All-Star break looming. And like you said, all the schedule stuff. And, you know, they really they, – they should have won that triple overtime game in Toronto. I mean, you can obviously say that about every close game. But, like, you know, obviously the, the timeout smoke calls to uh, get rid of Gabe Vincent's uh, half-court game winner or whatever – um, you know, that that's like whatever, but then they also yeah. the play they drew up for Tyler Hero where he airballed a floater, like that was I mean, like he's gotta make that shot, obviously. So right. you know, the 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 Celtics loss is really the one which as you said, that's a schedule loss, but they you know, is the biggest loss of the season. It's really the only really the only time this year where it's been like, oh, like totally check out on like this team and the way they're playing. Um yeah, I, I was in. I'm in Mobile right now, so I, I didn't see much of that game. Um, so yeah, was that all scheduled? What, what, what's your take on what happened in that game? The Toronto game. Uh, Boston. Boston. Oh, Boston. Yeah, I think yeah, that's all scheduled. As I was saying, like yeah. I, I third game in four nights, and again, Jimmy, they're missing three starters. Right, missing too. three starters. I mean, yeah. You're missing Jimmy, Kyle, and PJ. Um, and you're playing a Boston team that you know I know their their record has been disappointing this year. But they've been playing a lot better lately. They've had the NBA's top defense over the past three or four weeks. Um, so it's not like you're playing a bad team. So that's a tough game either way, whether you're fully healthy or not, on the road. Um, again, on the third game in four nights. And then you're also missing three starters. You know, there's a reason why the Celtics were favored by, like, seven or eight points in that game. It's because the Heat were at a big disadvantage. So that, that Celtics one above all was, I think, the schedule loss. The Toronto game. Yeah. I think they, you know, even on Tuesday in the fourth game and four, five nights, you have Jimmy and PJ coming back. Toronto's also playing in the second night of back-to-back after playing in Atlanta the night before, so they had a pretty long flight back home, um, you know, and re- arrived in Toronto early that morning. The Heat could, the Heat could have won that game. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, they just they didn't pull it out at the end. They let go, you know, the, they they wasted a big lead and and they ended up losing. I, I think, you know, and I wanted to get into this uh, in the episode. One thing that stood out to me. Just kind of, I just kind of look at, try to look at overall, like big picture themes and kind of what we're learning about this team, maybe heading into, mm-hmm. you know, what we could like kind of take from this stretch that maybe it would mean something down the road in the playoffs or in more important games. Um, the the late game offense just has not been good. Right. It just it just has not been good at all. I think they have like the fifth worst clutch offense in the NBA. Um, somehow they are still. Um, let me pull it up. Um, somehow they are still 
15 and 10 in clutch games with having a negative net rating in clutch situations. So that kind of yeah. shows you that maybe they've won a few games they probably shouldn't have um, yeah. this season. Um, their defense has been very, very good. So that's helped, um, you know, in those situations. But their offense, again, um, fifth worst clutch rating and have the fourth best defensive rating in clutch situations. So the, the, the late game offense is a little bit of a concern, I think. And even look just look overall, like the half court offense, um, has not been good this this season either. I mean, and, and that's mm-hmm. I think that that play, obviously plays a role in, in clutch situations. That's when the game slows down. You're relying more on half court sets. The Heat is basically average when it comes to half court offense. 14th among you know among the 30 teams, um, and that's important because in the playoffs the game slows down. Right. The Heat's half court offense has not been anything special this year. Um, again, it's been average, and you look at usually. You know, the teams that make it, you know, deep run in the playoffs, usually their half-court offense is among the best in the NBA. I think last year, the top three half-court offenses made the conference finals. So, again, I think, again, we haven't seen a lot of, you know, Kyle hasn't been in over the past few weeks, and that's definitely got a role, you know, when it comes to half-court offense. But for the season in general, it just has not been anything great. And that is usually not a good sign, um, you know, when it comes to the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, two things. One, it does feel like every, you know, obviously the, the, the close game numbers, like you said, it feels like in a, like those, what, what do you say, a 15 and 10 in those? It feels like yeah. a, a big percentage of those wins, and I don't I don't know if there's even, you'd have to probably go game by game to, like, actually look this up, but, like, it feels like there are games that become clutch games that had no business being clutch games, right? It's like those, yes, like, he blows yeah. a... He blows an 18-point lead that they had midway through the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter, and all of a sudden at the end of the game it's a a five-point game. So they're winning a a close game that really probably, one, is not as close as the score indicated, but also, like, they let get closer. And, and, you know, you can survive that, obviously, against bad teams for the most part. But, you know, if, if you're doing that against a team that has Kevin Durant or Giannis in the playoffs, like, all of a sudden those games that, where 18-point games and you let turn into a, a five-point game at the end, you know, even if you just lose one of those, that's a potentially crippling loss come playoff time. The half-court offense, it's kind of funny that, like, that's all of a sudden, like, one of the big, like, concerns with this team because I think we – I mean, it's – it's we – it's something we thought this team was going to be good at. Like, it, you know, the, the yeah. transition, you go back to the beginning of the season, we thought, you know, that the Heat were one of the worst transition teams in the league last year, right, in terms of just, like, volume of creating opportunities in, in that situation, um, you know, because Jimmy was is a, such a slow-paced player and, um, you know, wants to operate in the half court and ISO and post up and all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the, the real storylines of the early part of the season was that Kyle – came in and made this team run and um, it made, you know, just that jolt it gave the offense was, was pretty gigantic. Um, and, you know, they went from being one of the worst transition teams in the league to one of the better teams in the league in the, in full court situations. Um, I think we wondered what, how, you know, what kind of an adjustment period there was going to be with Kyle Lowry if, if him putting his fingerprints on this team, and obviously he's had a lot, um, and just how much would be he fits into the you – know, how much is how much is he going to influence the team and how much is Jimmy Butler going to kind of influence the team? Obviously they're very kind of 
they're similar players in a lot of ways, but but different also uh, as primary ball handlers. And right now, you know, I, I still when you when you tell me you've got Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero and you know Duncan Robinson Bam combos, um, you know, it, it gives me a lot of confidence that you're going to be able to manufacture a lot of stuff in, in half court situations come playoff time. Uh, but as you said, like it's it's not what I expected one of this team's flaws to be uh, three month three four months ago. Yeah, and I'm looking right now at the transition numbers. The Heat are adding four points in transition uh, per 100 possessions. That's the second most in the NBA, which is yeah. crazy, right? Like we never they don't really run that much, and they still play at a very slow pace. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Kyle's so good at those little outlet passes yes. and yeah yes, and they and they. They capitalize on a lot of those opportunities. They're number one in scoring transition off of live rebounds. Um, again, that's a, that's that's all Kyle, right? I mean, Kyle has kind of set the tone in that regard. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a big source of their offense. And also, I mean, they've been one of the better offensive rebounding teams for most of the year. Right. Um, so that also has helped. Um, but just when it comes to, like, just flat-out half-court offense, again, it hasn't been bad. I mean, 14 of 30 – I guess is a little bit above average, but it's right in the middle. And um, it's just, I think it says a lot. Like, I, again, I was comparing it to last season, and top three teams made the conference finals, and the fourth team that made the conference finals was, were the Bucks, the seventh best half-court offense. Yeah. Um, that's usually a pretty big indicator of playoff success. And Heat's defense is very good in the half-court. Um they're, they have a seventh best half court defense, but their offense, I think that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on and see if that improves when they're finally healthy. I mean, again, they haven't played right. a game with Kyle, Jimmy, and Bam in more than two months, um, which is just insane when you think about it. Um, that, you know, if there's anything that's that I think this team needs to really work on and fine tune before the playoffs, it's that. It's trying to find answers and solutions uh, in the half court on offense. Yeah, I mean, you have to imagine there are, like, sets and plans that or ideas, concepts that, that Spo has in his mind that they just haven't been able to do yet. Like, I don't know. I mean, I I, I, I picture a Kyle-Jimmy-pick-and-roll type game that could be an option, and, you know, it's not something we, we see. Those guys are both, have, you know, because they haven't played a lot together and certainly have not played with – Bam also in the mix. Uh, you know, they're splitting minutes sometimes, right? They're they're each kind of getting their chances to operate the offense. There there are just ways that this team, you know, we like I said, we know that Jimmy is going to generate in the half court because he can get to the free throw line and he's you know just a great good good score in two levels, not three levels, I guess, not a good three point shooter. You know that that Tyler Hero uh, because of his ability to make. Difficult shots is going to be really valuable come playoff time, assuming he keeps playing at this level and doesn't uh, kind of regress back to where he was last year. Um, you know that the offensive rebounding, obviously, if if Bam can keep offensive rebounding at that level, that that makes him valuable in the half court. And as I mentioned, the the Bam Duncan Robinson dribble handoff game that is a pretty like, you know, it's going to get you a shot kind of every time basically. Um, it kind of comes down to whether Duncan can hit the deep three that he usually gets out of it. But they've got a bunch of ways to score. But like like you said, they, they got a bunch of ways to make you a middle of the pack. You know, I, I think 
you keep doing what you're doing, this team probably would ultimately wind up probably around the top 10 in half-court offensive numbers. But uh, there, there are ways, I think, to unlock just an even greater level uh, for this offense. No, I, I know we're both kind of been – we've kind of stuck with Duncan Robinson here this season, right? I mean – Right. It hasn't been a great year, but I think we both believe that it will turn around at some point. He did for a little bit there last year. Yeah, week, I mean, he got over forty percent from three at one point. Like, well, he was at, he was at almost thirty seven percent last week for the season. Um, right. But he lately three for eighteen, lost three games. He played fifteen minutes on the fourth game in five nights. Like, you would think they would use him a little bit more. Uh, because to spread out the minutes a little bit. He didn't really play much in the fourth quarter. He hasn't really played much in fourth quarters. For most of the year, he hasn't been like a crunch time player that you'd have turned mm-hmm. to. I mean, what do you – what's your take on Duncan at this point? You know, is is he just this type of player where, you know, is it, is, as a as a high-volume three-point shooter, there's going to be big swings like this where he's three for 18 after his, after his best stretch of the year where he was, you know, shooting over 40% from three for like, the, for like a week or two. Um, is that just who he is at this point? You think, and and the big, you know, kind of this kind of what we have to keep monitoring is that three point number for the season, and I, you know, I it's think, about thirty percent. You're happy. I think it's got to be. It's got to get to a point where, um, you know, so he had a stretch there where he was across how many games was this? Across six games, he was. Over 50%, basically, right? Yeah. You know, two for five, one night, three for that's eight, five for ten, six, eleven. Yeah. yeah. So you need to get to a point where I don't want to say that's the norm because uh, shooting 40, 51.9% from three would be insane on his volume. Uh, but you need to get to the point where it's not he does that and then he follows it up with an 0 for five, two for eight, one for five, which is what he's in now. It needs to get to a point where it's – you know, something close to what he did in that stretch, obviously, like I said, 51 is extreme. But let's say, like, 47 or 48, something like that, across, like, a big stretch like that, or even, even like, 43, 44, 45. And then he's going to have an off night every once in a while, but he can't let those off nights turn into off weeks, basically, right? Like, that is, you know, if you play a seven-game series against whoever, you have to know that... Duncan's going to have a bad night. Like, it's just how it works when you're, you know, every shooter, unless you're even Steph Curry, right? I mean, look, he's in a slump right now, uh, which I saw, you know, Duncan talked about basically the other day. Um, I think he broke out of a slump the other night, but whatever. He's been in a slump for an extended little slump like that. So, like, even the best shooters in the world are going to have off nights, but if Duncan can't, you know, if he is – Duncan of the last three games for, you know, if he puts together a stretch like this in the middle of the playoff series, it's really going to hurt you. And that that's what the difference has to be. It's got to be, you know, because of the volume he shoots at, he's going to be streaky, quote unquote, but he's got to, I mean, he just has to be less streaky, I guess is like the simplest way to put it. He's got to be, like I said, just make those slumps shorter, make those yeah. slumps one day, two games. Right. They can't they can't ter- tank a whole series for him where he becomes not unplayable because they're going to play him and he, he obviously if we talk about the gravity all that other stuff but it's got to get to a point where he's he can you know there can be a game in there where you're like all right he's not going to be a factor come crunch time but he's got to you got to feel com- comfortable in six out of seven games five out of seven games to be like this guy's gonna 
at least give us solid three-point shooting. Is he, at this point, the type of player that if the threes aren't going in, you think he just doesn't play much and Max gets most well, of the minutes? I mean, that's, yeah, that's kind of, that hasn't been the case like the last few years, but this year lately, I mean, he was playing like 30-plus minutes during that hot streak he was in for yeah. 14 minutes, 30 minutes. Um, and then in the bag, like 0 for 8, he played 17 minutes. Last night when he was 1 for 5, he played 15 minutes. I mean, yeah. is he just going to be kind of a game-by-game thing, how much he plays just based on if he's making shots, you think? Yeah, and I think it's more about – I think it says more about the guys, they, the depth that this team has, right, where um, – you know, in the last couple of years, if Duncan wasn't going, it, like even Duncan being ice cold because of the value he gives you in other ways was still one of your, I don't know, seven, eight best players. And right now that's just not the case because, well, one, if you, like last year, you would have said Duncan Robinson is probably, what, the Heat's third best player, fourth best player, right? Like in the last yeah, couple of years. Top five, I would say. Certainly yeah, top five. I and mean, as far as offense, yeah. And this year, even even when he was coming into the year and we were expecting him to be really good, um, you would have definitely had him now behind Kyle Lowry. Um, pretty early, pretty quickly, it was like he's definitely behind Tyler Hero. Um, once we saw what PJ Tucker is this for them this this team right now, and, and the way he's shooting on obviously much lower volume, but you know giving them spacing and doing more than just being yeah. a, a one way player, he's more valuable than Duncan Robinson right now. Um, and, you know, Duncan's still probably ultimately, like, I think most teams, if you take a contract out of it, would rather have Duncan Robinson than Max Struess. But the gap is not massive in a way right. that I think we expected it to. And, and, again, part of that is because Duncan has been in ultimately a kind of a season-long slump. But a bigger part of that is just the Max Strews has massively exceeded, I think, what anyone expected him to be. And yeah. to me, that's what it says more. It says more about the Heat's depth and the fact that they can win different ways. Um, they have way more offensive options than it does about Duncan Robinson. You know, if Duncan Robinson wasn't hit last year, the offense was screwed. And that's just not the case anymore. Yeah. And I think the contract has also added some expectations, for better or worse, for him, right? I yeah. Mean, 36.1%, 8.4 three-point attempts. Not great, but that's not bad, right? I mean, I'm not valuing 36% from three. Solid, I would say, solid. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just not for the standards he created for himself, and then you add in the contract to that, and it's like, if you're not shooting the 39, at least 39%, it's a disappointment, you know? Um, so it has been a rocky year for Duncan. I think, again, that's another thing that he didn't have to figure out because it, you want to have kind of a set rotation, obviously, especially when you have a team this deep um, going into the playoffs. And Duncan's role just fluctuates so much. Yeah. And maybe that's just what he's going to be. Maybe that's just what it is. Like, because he, he, he does have these wild swings, because he does rely on a three-point shot, kind of the variance in his game is so big. But I just don't remember that being the case the last few years. I mean, it, it yeah. almost seems like if he doesn't hit his first few threes, he's playing 15 minutes and he's done. But if he hits, you know, three of six in the first half, he might play in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and I just don't know if you could, I mean, yeah, you play the hot hand normally, but in the playoffs, you want to have, again, an established rotation. And if you're just going to keep Duncan and base it off if he's making shots, that that's, I don't know if that's going to work. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it, it, I think it's more about the Heat having different ways they can win. Whereas last year you had to ride with, with Duncan no matter what he gave you. Um, and like you said, does that work come playoff time? I don't know. 
Um, we'll see, obviously. Um, but I think I don't know. I, I think he's 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 one of the he's, the way he's playing right now and the way the Heat are using him right now makes him one of the most like unique. I can't remember a situation like this, not just with the Heat, but like really ever, where it was like a guy who was who was a starter, right? It's 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 one thing to have a guy who like you know like Dion Waiters in certain situations would have, you know, he's got the reputation as like the the ultimate microwave guy for a long time, right? Where it was like, he was going to come off the bench and if he came in and got insanely hot, you were going to roll with him. Uh, Maybe that would change up your rotation a little bit, but I I can't remember a situation where a starter was like, we're going to see how he starts and and that will kind of determine the way the rest of this game goes. Um, But I, I, I don't necessarily think it's like doomed to failure because I think he is, because I think the Heat are deep enough, and because I think he is, uh, when he's hitting, he, I mean, you're gonna, you're not gonna lose a lot of games, and Duncan Robinson goes eight for sixteen from three or whatever he did against Phoenix that uh, early, early in January, or, or you know that that streak where we talked about where he hit over fifty for a six game stretch, um, you know they go five and one in that stretch, and yeah. like you're not gonna lose a lot of games, and he gets that hot. No, when he's making shots, this team rarely loses. Um, yeah. That's proven over the past few years. Um, and and so you got to you got to try, like you got to give him a shot at at the start of every game. And obviously, we're going to be in a much different situation two months from now. We're we're the conversation around Duncan Robinson right now is much different than it was a month ago or two months yeah. ago. It was like, is this guy just broken? Like he's it's progress. It's been pro- progress throughout the entire season. His yeah. percentages have steadily ticked up from the start of the year. Obviously. They've ticked back down now over the last couple of games because because that hot streak, like you said, moved him up over 37, uh, which I think was probably where he had peaked so far this season. But like the the arc of the season is is bending upwards with him. Yeah, and I think if you, again, I think we've talked about this, but the 30 if he has the 38 percent by the end of the season, I think you consider that a success at this point. Um, again, with the way it started, with the way it started and the volume he's shooting it at. And to be fair to Duncan, I. Don't think anybody either way. Even if he was shooting 39% at this point, I don't think anybody expected that him to be a key part of this late, you know, the Heat's late game formula. He wasn't even right. that last year, the year before in right. the bubble. Like it was Tyler and then you know Jay Crowder, Bam, Jimmy, and Goran pretty much in the bubble uh, late in game. So this year it's going to be Kyle Bam, Kyle Bam, Jimmy, PJ, and, and probably Tyler or Victor Oladipo if he's back and, and is effective. Um, Duncan just when he's in there needs to hit shots. By the way, you were comparing um, his role and how unique it is. This isn't exa- you know this isn't exactly the role Duncan's in, but it reminds me a little bit you know when he doesn't play that many minutes um, of Luke Babbitt. I think this is before your time at the Herald. David, yeah, it was, but but I'm familiar with, with the stylings of Luke Babbitt. Yeah, he was uh, almost like, and this is again, this is not Duncan. Duncan is not. He a was a starter. I, I, who, I was talking about Luke Babbitt with someone the other day. Exactly this thing that you're about to get into. Yeah, he he was a starter, but the way Spo used him was he played like the first six minutes, right? Uh huh. Sell him out. He would not play again in the first half. He would start the second half, play the first six minutes, sell him out, never play again. He played 12 minutes a game. It was and has. That was the Fad Mellow role when I was in, in Syracuse as a freshman. Fad Mellow would take the opening tip off for Syracuse and then not play the rest of the game, basically. It was so strange. Yeah, it's like you're a starter, but you only play the first few minutes of each half, and then you're done. So that's not Duncan, 
Uh, you know, Duncan plays more than that, but yeah, when he's right. not making shots, like last night, I mean, that's kind of what his <laughs> basically how much he played. Um, he played the first six or seven minutes of each half, and he played a few minutes after that, but that that was about it. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how his role has evolved this season because of the depth, like you said, because you know when he's not hitting shots, the Heat have more options to turn to. Um, but it's a little bit different than it was, you know, the last few years. Where are we at now? Pretty much at, at 30. So I'll have to find a uh, edit somewhere else. Um, but I'll, I can wrap us up now then, if that works for you. Anything else we need to get to? You're muted. Sorry. Oh, yeah, sorry. All, we can do All-Star, but All-Star is named Thursday, and we talked about it last week. So yeah, I don't know how timely it is when people are listening to this Thursday, yeah. Friday. Yeah. All right. So I'll wrap us up then. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, I think we can wrap things up there. Like I said, I'm in I'm in Mobile, up to my eyeballs in uh, Brian Flores lawsuits and Senior Bowl coverage. I did not get to to watch as much uh, of Malik Willis yesterday as I had hoped I was going to. But uh, I don't know. You got anything else before we finish up here? Where's Shamar Stewart going? That's going to be old news by the time. Huh? I know, but come on. I want, yeah. I, want your, I want your prediction on the record. So I, obviously, I've been in Mobile, so I've not been, like, I have not been asking around about it as much as I probably normally would right now. Um, my gut says Texas A&M. Okay. I've thought, I've thought since, like, September that it was going to be Texas A&M. And That's where all the predictions are, right? Since September, but yeah, I, I know he went. He went and visited in like August or something. I know he really liked it, and I just think Mario had a little bit of an uphill climb. Uh, I, I I wonder if he talked to Kevin Steele at all, the new defensive coordinator at Miami, because um, I know I know Shamar wants to play defensive end and not defensive tackle. So, and you got you got to know who your coaches are going to be to know what the role is going to be. Gonna be. Yeah. yeah. All right, so if he picks Miami, we'll just retape this and change it up. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, you can follow Anthony on Twitter at Anthony underscore Chang. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at DBWilson2. Um, we we're going to get into all-star stuff, but it's going to be old news pretty soon after people listen to this. So we'll get to that next week. Um, can't believe Yurt's not in the Rising Stars game, though. Yeah, the format changed a little bit. It used to be Team World versus Team U.S., and I thought he would have a better chance in that format just because, obviously, he's an international player. Now it's kind of like, I think it's 12 first-year players, 12 second-year players, no matter where you're from, and then, like, four G League players. Yeah. Um, so it's just, I think the different format didn't help him. Yeah. I like the G League guys being in that. That's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, and it provides another incentive for guys to go to the G League, right? Like, I think the days of... Guys going from high school and playing overseas, probably yeah. done because the G- there's a lot of incentive not to. Yeah, you yeah. don't want to play. I, I still, I still, am, yeah, I'm still not buying that the, the G League is going to be the death knell for college basketball. Like I think a lot of no, people no. thought when it first popped up. Um, you know, we have not seen obviously. You know, if, if there becomes a trend where these guys who go to the G League clearly have like some kind of edge going to the NBA, but I don't know. Like is Jalen Green really impressed anyone? That doesn't seem like it. I guess Kuminga's been a, a nice little story for the for the Warriors. But um yeah, I, I think, you know, was would LaMelo Ball have gone to Lithuania if he had all these other options? Or 
Yeah, maybe. maybe not. He was right. like 14 years old then. But, you know, would Brandon Jennings would not have gone to – He's the, well, he was the first one, right, who went to Italy. Um, you know, that like you said, those days are probably done, unless there's some, like, family tie out there. But, yeah. It, yeah. Definitely it's, it's, situation. Yeah, it's not. It's not gonna. I think college basketball is fine, but yeah, I think I just think, you know, the trend of that really quick trend of kids going international after high school. I think the G League has kind of fixed that. Yeah, which is good. That's that's what everyone everyone knew that couldn't last. So it's good. Good better situation for for American basketball to be in. I would say. Yeah, for sure. All right, Anthony. Thanks as always. Uh, we'll talk to you next week.